We've been looking at the subject, the theme of more. Uh, God obviously has created a, a universe that uh, uh, is fruitful and multiplies, is what he told Adam and Eve right off. Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And we see that all through the Word of God. God is a God of growth. He is a God of life. He is a God of multiplication. He is a God of, of, of um, addition, not subtraction. And so we see this all through the Word of God, and we, it's been our theme this year, really, uh, for the year of more, more in 24, and we saw more love, uh, more assembling, more Bible. Uh, all of these things are good to endeavor to add more to our life. I want to look at the sub- subject today uh, of more soul winning, more soul winning. Let me tell you this before I go on any further. Soul winning is a lifestyle. It is not something that just as you pick a day and, okay, this is our day. It is a lifestyle. It becomes a lifestyle. And I'm going to show you this in our text today. But if we, and where Brother Jim read for us in Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus had finished 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. John the Baptist is in prison. And Jesus has now come into Galilee to begin preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And while he was walking along the seashore, he saw out there working Peter and Andrew, who were both fishing, brothers out there fishing, casting their net into the sea, the Bible says. And Jesus called out to the brothers, and in verse 19 he said, and we see it here right behind us, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. Now Jesus promised these, these, uh, these uh, disciples that he was going to make them fishers, Fishers of men. Why? Because, well, really, that's exactly who Jesus is. He is a fisher of men. Luke 19 and verse 10, the the Bible says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He's fishing. He's out going fishing for people. How many have ever caught fish from your living room couch? How many of you ever caught fish from sitting in your car or watching at the lake, just pulling up to the lake and sitting in the car and catching fish? It doesn't happen that way. It is something that you actively, it's an endeavor that you actively take up. You get the pole, you get the net, you get the, you, you get the fly rod, you get the lure, you get whatever you need. You find water. Water helps to fish, right? Kind of hard to fish in the backyard unless your backyard's water, but uh Anyway, we, we, Jesus is a, said, he said, the, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It is, it is the, the pattern and the heart and the working of the Lord Jesus Christ to go out into, into all the world and seek and to save that which was lost. And so if Jesus is going to leave one day, which he did, and his church is going to continue to uh, continue to operate the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ, it means the church is going to have to continue the ministry of being a fisher of men. That's what we do, amen? That is our responsibility. And this promise didn't only apply to the disciples in the text here alone. It didn't apply just to them. The promise applies to every born-again child of God. And we're going to look at this. Romans 8, 29, it's kind of, a, there's, there's an interesting little bit in this verse. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. We're not focusing on that because uh, we, we know the correct application, this church knows the correct application of that. It's not predestination and foreordination for to salvation. 
It's not what the verse says. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be what? Conformed to the image of Christ. And that's what was predestined by God. That was what was predetermined by God. Not whether he's chosen you to salvation or not, but what he has predestined that all those who come to Christ and are in Christ, he's promised, I'm going to make you like Jesus. And that's a wonderful promise that we have. And if you're born again, listen, God is making you like Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that marks the life of Jesus, I think, better than to being a soul winner. That's what marks his life. I want to show you some examples this morning of this. And we'll make some application here in a little bit. And uh, then we're all going to go to Martin's house for lunch. So if you'll notice, Mark, that was right, wasn't it? Okay, there it is, there's 10, amen. I'm just kidding, that was a joke. Mark chapter 5, I better move on before I get in trouble. Mark chapter 5, look at verse number 1. And they came over to the other side of the sea, there they are at Galilee, and they went to the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Obviously, they tried, and it didn't work, right? Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in, in, in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. And we see here, we come into this uh, part of... Uh, the Gadarenes, we come into this eastern shore of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Actually, um, if you look here, that's the northern shore, and it'd be off over here. I've been there. It's pretty pretty neat. It's uh, over on the area of, of the Golan Heights, which is all east of the Sea of Galilee there on the eastern edge of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, here it is in this area of the Gadarenes that Jesus came into this area and this, what we call him, it has been called many times the maniac of Gadara. It comes out and sees Jesus Christ. We have the description of his life. We, have the, 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 we, we see the problem and the, of this man. He's controlled, completely controlled by devils. He is completely possessed. He has no control over his own body, over his own functions. He's in such torment. The only thing that he can do is cut himself with stones, cut himself and harm himself, uh, hoping, hoping maybe to release himself of some of the agony that he is in. And here he is, and Jesus shows up on scene, and the Bible says that he saw Jesus afar off. I love this. Look at verse 6. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran... And worshipped him. I like this. And notice also, Jesus said, didn't say as the angels do, get up, don't worship me. No, he accepted the worship. Why? Because he's God. Amen. And so, he's God. Okay. Right. We don't want somebody watching and think you don't believe that. Right? That was an easy one. He's God and he took worship. And, 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 and Jesus asked the, this unclean spirit, what is your name? Well, he said, my name's Legion, for we are many. So it wasn't just one devil that was in this man. There was a whole slew of them that were in him. He was uncontrollable. Uh, these demons had absolutely, these devils had absolute control over his entire being. And it was interesting here because the, now we see here that the, these unclean spirits, they have a request of Jesus. 
And notice what they said. Uh, verse 7, they cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? Oh yeah, the devils believe and tremble. They know who he is, absolutely. And uh, he said, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said, un, for he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them out of the country. And this is such an interesting part here, this, uh, this event that happened uh, on those shores of, of Galilee. The demons had a prayer request. What does it mean to pray? Well, we, was, we ask, we beseech. We're coming before God. These demons had a prayer request. If you ever lose confidence in your prayer life with God, don't forget that Jesus answered the prayer of these demons. They said, cast us out. Into the swine, you know, don't you know? Don't let us go out of the country, and uh, and he says here. And now there were nigh verse eleven, uh, high into the, up into the mountain, a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, "Send us into the swine that we may enter into them." And forthwith Jesus gave them leave and said, "Here you go, have at it, go." And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about two thousand of them, pretty. Pretty good uh, crop there. And we're choked in the sea. I guess pigs don't swim. And they that fed the swine fled and told in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And so here it is. The devils left. They went to the pigs. And the, and the, 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 the people whose job it was to keep the swine, to feed the swine... All, all their job, you know what, they're going to be looking for a new job, amen. Their, their, their job just went out into the Sea of Galilee. And so they ran into the town and they told everybody what happened. All 2,000 of them ran down the hill into the, into the sea because this guy, this guy came along and told that crazy guy that was full of devils, told the devils to go into the pigs, and the devils did. They, you know, the devil's dead and the pigs are dead. And I don't know what this means. This is nuts. And so everybody, of course, from town's coming out to see what on earth is going on. Could you imagine being out at your place and somebody showing up at your place saying, you wouldn't believe what happened in Ozark, right? Uh, some guy showed up and, and, you know, because this guy was full of demons and this demons went into these cows and the cows ran off and just jumped off the side of that bluff and died. It was weird. Here comes everybody to see the guy, right? And here it is, yeah. So they came out to see Jesus. And when they came out, the maniac who everybody knew was seated. I love how the Bible says this. He was seated. He was in his right, he was clothed and in his right mind. Oh, there's a lot of application here. I don't have a lot of time for it. Yeah. Notice this. Would you look in our text? And they that fed the swine, verse 14, fled and told it in the city and in the country. And when they went out to see what, the, uh, what it was that was done, and they came to Jesus, and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion, what? Sitting. <laughs> He's not running all over the place like a maniac. And clothed, right? He put his clothes on. It'd be a good study for you to see what was the very first thing that appeared to Adam and Eve when their eyes were open and sin came into the world. The very first thing the Bible says, they saw that they were naked. It's 
fascinating study. He was clothed and in his right mind. I love that. He was healed by Jesus. He was totally changed by Jesus. He was completely a different person. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so here's this guy who is totally changed. He's got a totally new life. He's not, nothing like he used to be. And the people are kind of creeped out about it. It's kind of spooky. They don't know what happened. So they ask Jesus to leave. They're like, you got to go. <laughs> right? Maybe they're a little irate that the, the whole crops, you know, there's like, you know, bobbing for, bobbing, bobbing for swine out in the Sea of Galilee. I'm sure the buzzards had, a, had a, just a great buffet that day. Right? But here's their whole crop laying out there, and this maniac's normal again. That really messed them up, and Jesus is just standing there like, what? You need to leave, please. And as he was getting into the boat, <clears throat> this formerly possessed man comes to Jesus, and he wants to go with him. Hey, who doesn't, be, who doesn't want to be with the guy who just freed you? Amen. Who doesn't want to be close to the one who just uh, uh, freed you from sin and from uh, eternal damnation? Who doesn't want to be with the one who is the lover of your soul? Who doesn't want to be around him all the time? And he came to Jesus and he wanted to come with him and he wanted to go with him. And uh, Jesus instead has some different words for him. He told him to stay home. He says, Jesus, I want to come with you. And he goes, no. No, stay home. Doesn't that sound a little strange? Right? I mean, I, don't we have songs about following Jesus everywhere? Right? He goes, no, you stay home. Look at verse 19. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, go home. Go home to what? Well, go home to thy friends. And do what? Tell them. Go home and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Go to your friends, you former maniac. Go to your family, you once possessed of devils. Tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. What do you mean? Tell them what he has done. Watch. And tell them about my compassion. Why did Jesus heal this man? Well, compassion. Jesus said it. Because he wanted to. Because he had compassion. How many times does the Bible tell us that Jesus had compassion on the multitude? Aren't you glad he had compassion on you? Aren't you glad he wanted you? Aren't you glad he saw your sorry state and your sorry condition? And the bondage that you were in? And the chains that you were in? And, and, the, and the possession that you were in? And he freed you of it because he wanted to and he loved you? Boy, praise the Lord. He tells this demon, now go, this former demon possessment, now, now, now go tell him about it. Go tell him. And he did. Do you notice in our text here, we're going to see here in a minute, that he actually ended up contacting his entire region? 
Look at verse 20. The Bible says this, And he departed, and he began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Now it says here that he went into all of Decapolis. Decapolis is a, is a compound word. The word deca, which means ten, and the polis, like a metropolis, a, meto, a polis meaning uh, city. And so this region of ten cities was a region that was just east of what we'd call the Golan Heights. If you would follow, there's Mount Hermon. If you would follow it off, uh, if that's kind of north, you'd follow it kind of south along the eastern edge of the Sea of Galilee. To this side, you'd have the Golan Heights. Beyond the Golan Heights, these big mountains, you would have Decapolis over in the areas of Syria. And the Bible says that he went, departed, and began to publish in Decapolis, the ten cities. No, he went to the entire area. Uh, Pliny and Josephus have some ideas of what they believe the ten cities were. Some have differences of what the, the ten cities were. I mean, we do know all of them include Gadara, where this, man, where this happened as a part of Decapolis. But there's some that they have a little discrepancy on. But no matter what the cities were back then and what they are today, there is this area, this area of ten cities that this maniac formerly, right, went into the entire region, all ten cities, and they told them about Jesus. He told them what happened. He told them. He told them. When the guy who wanted to be with Jesus, when, when, when he wanted to travel and minister with Jesus, this is what he wanted, right? He wanted to be with them. You know how it goes today, right? Something like this happens today, and man, they've, they've got a circuit they're riding now. They've got, right, they, they've come along, and somebody, some church uh, gets them, and they're like, all right, they're going to polish their one message that they preach all over the country, and they're going to take off and quote evangelism, and they're going to go out, and they're going to tell their story all over the place. I'm telling you, it's, uh, he, he, I, I mean, could you imagine the story that he could have polished up? I was in chains. I was, I was cutting myself. The chains couldn't keep me. And he'd lift up his sleeves and show them all the cuttings. And they go, oh, and he'd have some people come along. And this is my mom. And this is my neighbor who knew me. And this is the one who I would chase out of the graveyard every time they came around. And, and people would sit there just spellbound, listening, listening to, this, to this story of, of what he used to be. And uh, he would let them know that the, 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 the one who was completely out of his mind, the one who was the lunatic and was naked, was set free by Jesus. And what a, it would be awesome, right? It could be very, very beneficial to people's, uh, to people's uh, uh, life and how they, and, and how, in, in, their, uh, in their growth in the Lord. It could be very helpful. It could be very encouraging to sit in that, in that service and listen to the maniac of Gadara. Could you imagine on the sign, today, maniac of Gadara will be here. I'd be like, yeah, this is going to be great. Man, right? The invitation's given. Everybody's just flocking the, flocking the altar for who knows why, but they're just happy about the guy who was once chained and Jesus was set, set him free. It was wonderful. But Jesus said, no. He said, no, I don't want you doing that. He just wanted to stay with Jesus, right? No. You stay here and you tell them about me right here. 
right here. You know, there is an element, another element here. Some people get saved and they just want to go to the mountains and the caves and be with Jesus. Right? This monastic lifestyle of Catholicism, completely unbiblical, completely unscriptural. There is a famous musician called Michael Card. I don't know if anybody remembers that name. It's a while back, and he kind of left Christendom and went into this, uh, into not hiding, but he went into this monastic lifestyle just to get closer to Jesus. Boy, it sounds wonderful, but it's unbiblical. Watch what Jesus told the maniac to do. This is what we're all were intended to do. Go and tell. He obeyed. He published it throughout all of Decapolis. Look what it says at the end of verse 20. And all men did marvel. All men, they, they heard the story of Jesus right where he was. Right? You could say, well, you know, he kind of ran a little circuit. Well, he ran a circuit where he was. Yeah. Isn't it amazing how so often we want to go to Africa and Zimbabwe and Madagascar and India, but we don't want to go across the street. We've heard that. We've heard that said very often, haven't we? But it's still true. It's still very true. Yeah. And this man, he did what Jesus said. Right? He went out and he told. What was he? He was a soul winner. <laughs> he was a soul winner. He had a story to tell. And so do you and so do I. Oh, no, it may not look like this. It may not be as sensational as, you know, I was demon-possessed and, and uh, chains couldn't even keep me and I cut myself and I scared people and I was creepy and all these things. It might not be that cool of a testimony. But listen, his dead spirit is no different than our dead spirit that was made alive by Christ. It was the same miracle. And we still have the same story to tell. You know, this isn't the only story. There's another one. Jesus was leaving Jerusalem and he was going back up to the area of Galilee. And uh, it's about a 40 mile trip from Jerusalem to Galilee. It's a, and the way they, the, 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 the road it would have taken, how it would have taken to get up there. And about, about a 20 hour trip by walking. And Jesus and his disciples are walking the trail uh, up to this area. And um, he's. Uh, He's uh, going up and on the way there, over in the book of John. <laughs> I think I'm in the right spot. John chapter 4. Glad I remembered. I forgot to write it down. <laughs> John chapter 4. He's taking his trip. He's got to go up through the area of Samaria. The Bible says he must needs go through Samaria. Some take this as a divine appointment. I think that's fine. But uh, you still just, if you're just going to go from Jerusalem to Samaria, or Jerusalem to Galilee, you've got to go through Samaria. It's pretty, pretty plain here. But I like this because, you know what? Don't miss the casual things of life that you think are meaningless. You've got to go to work, but sometimes you pass somebody's life that God puts there. Right? You've got to go to the store, but sometimes God puts somebody in the path there on the way that you need to talk to. Well, you just got to go to the bank today. Well, somebody, sometimes there's a teller behind that, behind that counter, behind that 
uh, window that God put there you need to talk to today. Jesus was going to Galilee, and the way to get back to Galilee was Samaria. And it just so happened he has a complete human body that was tired and thirsty, and he stopped in Samaria at Jacob's well to get some water. Yep. And here he is, he's come to the well in chapter 4, and he stops there to get a drink. It's about noontime. And uh, the heat of the day, and a woman comes out to get some water. And if you notice in verse 7 of chapter 4, Jesus says this, Then, then there cometh a woman uh, 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 of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Right. Notice what she says in verse 8, uh, verse 9, for, the woman, for saith, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Sumerians. Now I'm going to explain this real quickly. When the, Assyri when the Assyrians invaded nord the northern kingdom of Israel around 722 B.C., they left many Assyrians in Israel uh, that, that were, that, you know, they just invaded that whole area. Many stayed there and lived. And because of that, many of the Assyrians intermarried with the Jews there. So now you have this group of people, these Samaritans, they call them, in the area of Samaria, that are half Jew and half Gentile. The Jews would have called them affectionately half-breeds. Not so affectionately. No, they had great disdain for them. Right? They didn't like them at all. And uh, now these Samaritans, they, they laid claim to Israel. They, you know, they said, well, Jacob was our father, and you'll see this here in a little bit. But a pure Israelite would not have laid claim to them hardly at all. And Jesus answers the question in verse 10. Why are you a Jew giving a Samaritan uh, some water to drink? Why are you having any dealings with me? Aren't you so glad our God is a whosoever will? Right? He, he doesn't concern about our own racial bent and things like that. God is concerned with the world. And Jesus said in verse 10, He answered her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Boy, you talk about a way to open up a conversation. She went, Huh? The woman saith unto him, look at verse 15. I'm sorry, verse 11. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw water with. She is not getting the spiritual application here. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? What is she talking about? Well, you know, in those days, some people would have a little leather type of a, a bag that they would carry with them so they could drop down into a well and get water to drink. It was like carrying a, you know, a, a, a water ladle with you like in the old western days. You, know? you might have it on your pack somewhere in a canteen and somewhere to get some water or an old bucket that you dropped down in a well you found and hopefully get some water. Some people, would, a lot of them would carry their own. Obviously, Jesus didn't have one. And she goes, you don't have anything to draw with. And the well's deep. How are you going to, what do you mean, what are you talking about living water? And then he, she says this in verse 12. Art thou greater than our father Jacob? Uh, yeah. Anyway. That's a different subject. Which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. So here she is connecting herself spiritually to Israel. She's letting him know, hey, we're, we're part Israelites. We have some claim here. And Jesus answered and said unto her, verse 13, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, 
But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus, why don't you have anything to draw the water out of this well? Because this is not the water I'm talking about. I'm talking about spiritual water. And I love how Jesus opened the, the, and broke the ice and hold, opened the whole discussion and led it to this area of, of, of where he's going spiritually. It's so wonderful. Notice a woman says unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to dwell. She's still looking physically, not spiritually. Jesus said unto her, Go call your husband and come back to me. Well, what's he doing, right? Well, I have no husband, she says. Jesus says, you're right. You're right. Notice, he starts with just a casual conversation. He took, it's a great lesson in witnessing here. He took a normal situation, a casual situation, a natural need, a normal everyday event, and drew a spiritual picture to turn the conversation to spiritual need. She doesn't catch it, but she's about to, right? So now he's going to convince her of her need. This roadside pit stop, it, it went from this casual conversation and to a, a random woman being convinced of her need. He says, she goes, I want the this living water. Okay, go call your husband. Eh, I don't have one. Jesus says, you're right, you don't. You've had five husbands and the one you're with now isn't your husband. I don't know my sense of humor. I love her response. I perceive that you're a prophet. <laughs> Good perception. Yeah. Notice in verses 20 through 24, he deals with her false religion. He, de- he deals with her sin, number one. She's confronted by the Lord Jesus Christ. He deals with her sin in verses 16 through 19. And in verse 20 through 24, he's going to deal with her false religion. Look at verse 20. And he says, our fa- she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. I'm telling you, this is going to happen when you deal with people and their sin and pointing them to Jesus Christ. Uh, time and again, they're going, to go- they're going to turn to some form of religion that makes them think they're all right. Well, I'm not that bad. I mean, I go to church. I give to the United Way. I mean, I always do that. I mean, they're going it's, it's to turn to some, some religion that justifies themselves. But Jesus said unto her, verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. How is that? Well, Jesus. <laughs> but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He deals with her false religion, and look at her, he points her to God who you've got to worship in spirit and in truth, and then look at verse 25 and 26, he reveals who he is. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he come, he will tell us all things. 
Uh, he just did. <laughs> I, why did, why did I, I, this isn't really enjoyable, friends. He just told her everything that, she, that was going on in her life. And he, he said, Jesus saith unto her, look at how more plain can you get. I that speak unto thee am he. Wow. People say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. He never claimed to be God. That's pretty plain right there, friend. Yeah. He says, I am, I am he. I am the Messiah. And boy, when this is going on. So you see this. He deals with her sin. He deals with her religion, her false religion. He deals with her. Uh, he, he reveals who he is. And this is another great lesson for us in soul winning. He presented the need, right? He dealt with her sin. He deals with false religion. He reveals who he is. And then she believes it. She believed it. The disciples show up. They're like, what is going on? We went to just go get some lunch and we come back. And he's talking to this Samaritan woman. And she's excited. They're stunned, right? Jesus is doing the work of the Father and doing his work there. And uh, what happens? She leaves her water pot. She just left it all and ran back to the city. And look what she says here. Uh, uh, Verse 29, verse 28, The woman then left her water pots and went away into the city and saith unto the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that I ever, ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. I love that. The disciples get their own message their own instruction from Jesus while this is going on. But don't miss this. Listen, the, the, the lost, here we see here, she captured an entire village. Yeah. He confronted, there was a casual conversation that turned into, a, into this convincing of her need. She believed him, which caused her to go out and capture an entire village. Verse 30, the people came. Verse 39 through 40, they're just listening to Jesus now. Watch this. She brought them to Jesus. No, I want you to see this. This is awesome. And many of the Samaritans, verse 39, of that city believed on him. Why? For the saying of the woman. They believed her testimony. What, were they, what, was, she, what was her testimony? This is the Christ. He told me everything. What did they see? They saw a changed life. They saw something in her that was different. I mean, and she was pointing to somebody else that said, come see the one that told me everything that I ever did. They believed, look at, they believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that I ever did. Look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, so they believed her, she's bringing him to Jesus, right? Not to herself, to Jesus. They brought him that would, uh, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. He stayed and taught them. Watch this, verse 41, I love this. And many more believed because of his own words. Some believed because of her testimony. Some came and believed because of the very words of Jesus Christ. I love this. Can I tell you this? There are going to be lost people that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because of your testimony in your changed life that directs them to Jesus Christ and they're going to believe. They're going to see a life and go, boy, I don't know how this happened. I don't know why. I know what you used to be like and I don't know how you became like this. It has, something has to be real here, right? There's going to be those that are going to believe a changed life and a, and a testimony that you have of Jesus Christ and then there, then there are going to be those who believe because of the very... Word of God that they read for themselves. They're going to hear a testimony. may drive them to the Word of God. They may begin to start in... I don't know what the... Boy, 
I tell you what, old Jack sure is different. He says it's this, I don't know. Maybe I'll start reading this. Huh. See, in both, watch this, in both cases, this is the point, with the former maniac and that half-breed Samaritan woman, boy, Jesus has quite a hodgepodge of followers, doesn't he? <laughs> the most, watch, the most natural response after somebody was delivered by Jesus Christ was to go and tell about it. To go and tell. One more thing. I'll be quick. I want to look at the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Look at verse 7 through 13. Real quickly and I'll be done. Or I won't. I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to get your hopes up. Mark chapter 6. Jesus had called his 12 disciples in. What was this? Jesus and his 12 disciples, what was this? It's the church. This was the church that Jesus started. So what did he do? He called them together. What do we call that? It's an assembly. Ecclesia, a called out assembly. Not only is it assembly of parts, right? But now he's called the parts, this assembly that makes up a body, he's called them together for a, another assembly. There's a purpose behind this. Right. Could you imagine one of these 12, when Jesus called them, saying, nah, I got too much to do today. <laughs> right. No, nah, I don't know. I'm really, really busy. Right. They all came. When he called. And notice what he does here. He sends them out. Look at verse 7. And he called unto him his twelve. And began to send them forth two by two. And gave them power. Over unclean spirits. So he called his twelve. He sends them out after assembling. After bringing them together. Mustering them together. He said okay now. We all here? Yeah we're all here. Right. Even Judas. He said, now, I want you to go out two by two, and I'm going to equip you to go out. And he goes on in the text here, and he lays out what they're going to need. First of all, he says what they don't need. He says, you don't need a script. You don't need to write down what you're going to say. Don't worry about that. Right. Don't have your little three by five card with, your, with what you're going to say. No food. It's obviously not going to be a very long trip. No food, no money. I don't, you follow? They're not going real far. They're staying pretty local. No food, no money. Don't bring two coats. You're not going to need. You're not going to be gone that long. Here's what I do want you to take: take your staff. You're going to be walking. Brother Martin's not going to be here to drive the bus. He's not driving the van for these guys. You're walking. And make sure you have some shoes on. <laughs> yeah. Why these parameters? 
He has mustered the, the body together. He has commissioned them to go out two by two. Right? He gave them authority as they went out. People say, why, well, why, who gave you authority? Come knock on my door. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ does. Right? Nobody has said that to me, but that's what you might say if somebody said that and in a very nice way. And he lays out the parameter of what they need. Why, why the parameters? Watch this. He wasn't sending them out to plant churches here. He wasn't sending them out as missionaries here. He was sending them out to go door to door, soul winning. This is what it is, amen? This is exactly what it is. They're going out to preach. He laid out the scope. Look at verse 10. And he said unto them, In what place soever you enter into a house, there abide till you depart from that place. One house at a time. Stay there until you leave. Right? Isn't that normally what we do? Stay till we leave? See that? See how easy that is? No. What, what is this? This isn't really canvassing, right? No, there's time for that. Right? We go out and we canvas and we just get as many doors with a flyer on them as possible, maybe for VBS, maybe our church uh, door hangers or something like that. And we have a, a time where, we're, okay, we're just going to canvas today. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about going one house at a time, stay there until you leave. What's that mean? Why are you staying there? Because you're conversing with somebody face to face. Yeah. Look at verse 11. Don't hang around if they say no. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear you, when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Listen, if they don't listen to you, just go on. Just go on. If they open the door and they say, we already have a church, thank you. Oh, wonderful, where do you go? Okay, well, go on. Don't knock again. <laughs> I didn't quite catch that. <laughs> right. And so what happens in verse 12 and 13? They went out. Look at verse 12. And they went out and preached that men should repent, and they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. What did they do? They mustered together. Jesus called them as, together as the body. He called them together. He gave them a commission. He set them out two by two. He gave them the parameters, right? You don't, don't, you don't need a bunch of stuff for a long trip. It's a local deal we're doing here. And you're going to go out house to house, and you're going to deal with people, and you're going to preach the gospel house to house. If there's those that receive the gospel, just stay there with them until you're done. If there's those that say no, turn around and walk away. That's all it is. No, this is what we're doing. This is where we get this from. This is why we go out door to door. Do you know there are, there are very few that are doing this anymore? But churches all over the United States at one time, at one place, used to, uh, used to call their bodies together, their assembly together, for the purpose of going out two by two to their Jerusalem to confront people face to face with the gospel. This used to happen all over our nation, all uh, of churches all over the place. It was a normal thing. Yeah. And now we're the weirdos. We're the anomaly. You know what it sounds like to me? We look at the condition of our nation. We look at the condition of churches. It sounds like soul winning 
we look at the text here. We look at the maniac of Gadara. I'm just looking at three things. You look at the, the, that Samaritan woman. You look at what Jesus did with this church in assembling them together and then sending them out two by two. It kind of sounds like soul winning isn't just some extracurricular activity that we add on as another ministry. It sounds like it's another aspect of assembling of which we were told not to forsake. Can I remind you this morning, every two and a half seconds, somebody dies. Every two and a half seconds, somebody takes their last breath in this life and they wake up in the next life. And statistically, the majority of the 150,000 plus people that will die today across the world, statistically, the majority of those people will end their existence in this life and begin their eternal existence in hell. That is a statistic fact. You see, you and I, there's nothing we can do about dying. There's nothing we can do of keeping people from dying ultimately. We're all going to die, amen? There's nothing we can do about that. But there is something that we can do about warning and preparing and preaching, right? There's something we can do there. Hebrews 9.27, right? It's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. There is a judgment coming, which leaves really only two categories of Christians. Those who will warn and those who will not. Those who will tell and those who will not. Those who will bring others to Jesus, like that Samaritan woman, and those who will not. There's really only two categories. No, we're not talking about uh, keeping people living longer on this planet. We, we can't do that. We're talking about warning those and teaching those and preaching those of what is to come. No, it's not our job to save. It is our job to warn and to tell and to bring them to the one who can save. That's our job. You know what we see here? I know, I know. We don't like this. I get it. What we see here is the maniac became a soul winner. <laughs> the half-breed became a soul winner. Jesus gave a pattern for his church to assemble and to go out and be soul winners. Do you remember the admonition in Hebrews chapter 10, 24 and 25? Looked at a couple weeks ago regarding the assembly of the body. He said, forsake not so much the more. So much the more. You know what I've noticed at my short tenure on the planet? I've been watching a reverse trajectory. Now, my, my scope only goes back so many years, right? But some of you can see this even more than I do. That wasn't an underhanded dig. <laughs> I see a reverse trajectory in life, in our nation, in American Christianity. Yeah. When television was somewhat benign, Christians didn't have TVs and wouldn't go to the movie house. I mean, it was ranted against. 
It wasn't just Baptists. Boy, it was Pentecostals. It was all sorts of, you know, Bible churches and this and that. Boy, they just, they, there was a lot out there. They, they, they fought against some of the modernism and some of the entertainment that was coming out that they thought was wrong. You know how many people, you know how many guys, some of you know, I, I, I wasn't around. How many preached against Elvis Presley and the wickedness of that music and, and how the Beatles have ruined the United States of America. I mean, you remember those days, right? And, and it seemed like when, when things were uh, a little more innocent that Christians had a little more uh, uh, way that they lived their life. Let me, let me just say it this way, like, you know, when TV was kind of innocent, like there were more Christians that just didn't have one. But as things have gotten worse, it's like a reverse tra trajectory. Things have gotten worse and Christians have become more adapted to it. When the opposite really should have been true. It should have been the other way. Well, Christians might have had it back in because, oh, yeah, it was, it, was, it was harmless. And boy, it's getting terrible. Yeah, we're, gonna, well, we're done with this. This is getting terrible. No, that's not what's going on. It's a reverse trajectory. And I see it also in soul winning. You know when churches were soul winners? And I know we're not a Christian. I get it. The, the, the argument against we're not really a Christian nation. I understand all the arguments. But there is, it is undoubtedly, it is, it is true that there was a day when you could, you, when you could call America on a whole, in general, on a whole, I know there's outliers everywhere, but on a whole you could call, say that America at one time was more godly, definitely more godly than it is today on average. Remember blue laws? Remember stores not being open on Sundays? Remember things shutting down Saturday afternoon because we're getting ready for church the next day? I mean, come on, it was all over the place. I mean, remember prohibition and laws on alcohol and states that didn't have gambling and didn't want, I mean, on and on and on. It is undoubtedly. You can't doubt it that we have changed drastically. But when things were, quote, more godly, there were more soul winners. But as things gotten worse, there are less soul winners. And it seems like it should be the opposite. Amen? Yeah. And you know, Hebrews 10.25 is telling us not just of the assembly of the body. I mean, when we assemble, yes, it's edification and edifying, and it's part of preaching and singing and praying. But we also assemble for missions conferences, and we also assemble for VBS, and we also assemble for outdoor revivals, and we also assemble for door-to-door -door visitation. Yeah. So watch, Hebrews 10, 25, as you see the day approaching, so much the more. I think it seems pretty logical as we watch the end coming, and I don't think we can doubt that. We need more soul winning, not less. Listen to me, it's a lifestyle. You know what some of us need to do? We just need to remember where we were when Jesus rescued us. And get the joy of the Lord back in our life. Listen, get the joy crushing sin out of your life. And get the joy back. And you'll just want to go out and tell it again. Let me ask you, I'm going to close up. I, I didn't really plan to go all the way to 1 o'clock, but it's not. Do we have any maniacs among us? Maybe you're watching online and you can say, oh yeah, I might have not been that crazy, but I was pretty nuts. Do we have anybody in here that's been delivered from religion and from self, from lust, 
from a lifestyle of destruction. We got any church members? Are you a soul winner? Are you a soul winner? You know what I want God to do in our hearts this year? I want Him to revise something in our hearts and in our lives. Whatever He takes to do it. right? To help us, our eyes to be open, to see the need out there. And to change us. To make us soul winners again. I know what's going through the mind right now. I don't know what to do. Can I tell you something? If the heart, if the heart gets right, God will give you something to do. It may not be like what you used to be able to do, but it will be something to do. You know what? If your neighbor's house was literally on fire and they were literally there, you would probably damage your body to get over to that house, whatever it took, to call on the phone, to get the police there. I'm telling you, adrenaline would kick in. And I know know everybody in this room, you'd do something to help. You would. And I really try, I don't want to be sensational or manipulative, but it is a fact. It is a Bible truth and a fact. People every day are dying and going to hell. May God help us to be soul winners again. Some of you are soul winners. I know that. It's your life. I love it. And uh, may God help you to stay there and not back away. So much more as you see the day approaching. Crimson Avenue Baptist Church, all of us in here, we need to be known as a soul winning church. May God help us in that. Father, thank you for the word today. Thank you for the examples that you've seen. I'm thankful that Lord Jesus is a great soul winner. And he, he, he sought us out, every one of us in here, he sought us out. And he drew us unto himself. And we responded and you saved us. And I'm thankful for that. Lord, would you do the work in our hearts today to make us soul winners? Would you change us? Would you show the, the, the urgency that is out there so much the more as you see the day approaching? Would you change us, please, in Jesus' name? Amen. Why don't we stand this morning? People are praying already and these instruments going to play. The piano will play and... The invitation is open. However, the Lord has spoken to you. You want to be a soul winner? Say, I don't know exactly how, but I want to be a soul winner. I need to be. I need to be. You move as the Lord has spoken to you. You may say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need to be. I want to be. I want to do more. But I don't exactly even know how to do it, what to do. I don't have the... The, the physical uh, ability I used to have. I don't have the financial ability I used to have. I don't have this or I don't have that. Listen, you just ask the Lord to change your heart and He'll give you what you can do. What you can do. Hey, some water, some plant, God gives the increase. Don't ever minimize the one that, that stirs the ground up compared to the one who puts the seed out. They're doing the same work. It's the heart that we're interested in.
The Bible says over in Proverbs, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. He's wise. So may God help us. In the capacity that he has given us and where we are, may he help us to be soul winners. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer this morning. And uh, uh, discipleship tonight, 5 o'clock. I think we're going over.